Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. You you may not be locked in on it on a night-in, night-out basis because there's so much Major League Baseball that gets spread out across the course of six months. But if last night happened to be a night that you locked in on Major League Baseball, holy cow, what a great night of games. Just incredible. The, the best game of the night was the one that didn't finish until about midnight central time. And if you were a Yankees fan trying to watch on the East Coast, then you were up until after 1 o'clock. So you had a bunch of extra inning games in baseball. The Blue Jays beat the Indians 2-1 to one in 10 innings. Red Sox had a close win over the Rays. Phillies beat the Tigers 3 to 2 in 15 innings. You had the A's over the Astros 4 to 3 in 11 innings, and then the Giants beat the Cubs 5 to 4 in 13 innings, and then the game with the Yankees and the Twins. Borky, have you at least seen the highlights from this game last night? Yeah, and uh, I mean that the game-winning catch was spectacular, but the announcers oh, in that incredible. game is what made for some reason you don't get a whole lot of passion with baseball announcers especially in July but that one was extra special that that's the kind of energy that we need more in baseball yeah it was really good and i saw this tweet earlier today from adam zucker at cbs he was retweeting somebody else let's see here let me pull this up it was only the second time a Major League Baseball game in the last 40 years has had a blown lead in the top of the eighth, the bottom of the eighth, the top of the ninth, and the bottom of the ninth. The only other time it's happened in the last 40 years, Colorado defeated Oakland in the year 2000. So the final last night was 14 to 12. The Yankees were up two to nothing early. They were down three to two. Then they were down eight to two. Then it was eight to five. Then it was nine to five. Then they took the lead ten to nine, fell behind eleven to ten, retook the lead in the top of the ninth inning, twelve to eleven. Minnesota tied it in the bottom of the ninth at twelve, and then the Yankees got two runs in the top of the tenth inning, and an incredible diving catch by Hicks out in center field, like full extension at the end of the ball game to hang on. The Yankees walked the bases loaded in both the bottom of the ninth and the bottom of the tenth inning. And Araldus Chapman got the cheapest win in the history of baseball. Worked an inning, walked three, gave up a sacrifice fly for one earned run, and then got a couple of lineouts and a little pop-out to end it. It was an incredible baseball game. A million pitchers were used by both teams that's pretty good late July baseball, and they'll turn around and play each other again tonight. 
Yeah, and, and the Twins kind of came out of nowhere as well. I also saw, uh, well, heard this morning listening to a podcast that every over either hit or pushed last night as well. Really? Every single one. Uh, across all of uh, baseball last night. That's pretty incredible. So the scores yesterday were Nationals 11-1, to Cardinals 4-3 to over the Pirates, well, it must have been a low-scoring total in the Blue Jays-Indians game because only three runs were scored there. Red Sox beat the Rays. I won't go through all of them, but it was a pretty incredible night of uh, of Major League Baseball. And you got games going on this afternoon as well. Wednesday, usually a getaway day, so some uh, early games. Nats leading the Rockies 3-2 to in the ninth. Phillies up 4 to nothing on the Tigers in the eighth. Brewers leading at 5-4. to Borky's Milwaukee Brewers, 5-4 to four over the Reds in the bottom of the fifth. Astros are up 4-1 to one on the Athletics in the sixth inning. Scoreless between the Orioles and the Diamondbacks. Scoreless between the Rangers and the Marlins. Cubs with an early one nothing lead on a beautiful day in San Francisco. Uh, and earlier today, the uh, Rays beat the uh, Red Sox 3-2. to two. So a bunch of baseball happening during the day on this Wednesday. Not very often that we lead with like a Major League Baseball scoreboard. I just thought last night was fantastic. And I ended up really not watching much of all of it. I listened to a bunch of it, though, on the radio. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been doing that, financing land, for over 100 years. And so you can give them a call. You can find a branch location close to you in North Mississippi. Their headquarters is in Senatobia, but they've got branches all across the northern part of the state. Kind of Highway 82 North is uh, roughly the dividing line between North Mississippi and South Mississippi or Central Mississippi, at least that's the area that uh, Mississippi Land Bank serves. Check them out or go by and see them, mslandbank.com. Let's stick with the baseball theme just for a second. The division races are really not very good. Uh, Yankees are up, what, nine and a half games in the East. Twins are up over, and that's over Tampa Bay and Boston. Uh, The Twins are up three games on the Indians in the Central, and the Astros have a six-and-a-half game lead over the A's in the West. In the National League, Braves trying to pull away. Five-and-a-half in front of the Nationals, six-and-a-half in front of the Phillies. Cubs have a half-game lead over the Cardinals, who are all of a sudden playing well. And the Dodgers have a huge lead in the West, but it's not as big as it was, in large part because Haydad's San Francisco Giants have won 17 of their last 20 games. That team was dead, Borky, dead. And now, here's where it gets interesting. When you look at the uh, the wild card standings, in the American League currently, the two wild card teams would be the Indians and the A's, Tampa Bay and Boston both within striking distance. And in the National League, the Nationals and the Cardinals would be the wild card team, but the San Francisco Giants are now just two games out of that second wild card spot in the National League, and that's a team that again was absolutely terrible at the beginning of the year. Hey, weren't they terrible by design, though? Wasn't that one of those tank years we're going to lose on purpose to start a rebuild? Or am I misremembering that? No, I mean it was not a roster that was built to win. 
but it's a roster that's gotten, I guess, a little bit better. It's not like they've made trade moves to try and get them better to be a playoff team. It's just the group that they've got is playing well. They're getting good pitching, and they're scoring runs, and yeah. I mean, and if all of a sudden you can deliver that kind of a performance in a year that was supposed to be a rebuilding year, you can generate a little interest in with the fans. And the Giants traditionally have really good fans, and it's a beautiful ballpark. Did you go to... Did you go to a Giants game when you were uh, in California a couple of years ago? When Did you not go to a game, but well, went around the ballpark and just looked at the, the stadium. But I think they were, gosh, they had one or two games while we were there. I think they were either on the back end of a series or were starting a new series. You were out there at the same time. You may remember, uh, but we just we had other stuff planned. You know, I kind of got engaged um, that week, so. Yeah, <laughs> had some you, other you things to get, do. No, you 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 actually got engaged. You didn't kind of <laughs> get engaged. Uh, yeah, I went to a game on the Friday night before Ole Miss and Cal played on Saturday, and I was really looking forward to seeing that ballpark, and it was fantastic, just absolutely spectacular. Try to remember who they played. Uh, it was the Diamondbacks. It was uh, it was the Giants and the Diamondbacks. When we were uh, there, because there were some Diamondback fans that had, uh, had made huh. the trip on that we were on the train with after the uh, after the game. I don't think I've so, ever told anyway. this story before. Around that uh, that note, by the way, I can't believe I haven't told you this. So, okay. uh, we got engaged in San Francisco Bay. We drove. Uh, we went across the bridge to Sausalito. Uh, met a guy that was supposed to give us sailing lessons, but it was really he was taking us out on a boat so I could propose in San Francisco Bay. And he takes us up next to Angel Island. Angel Island was the Ellis Island of the West Coast, but it also uh, had internment camps during World War II. And so I propose we do all that, you know, pop a bottle of champagne, and he points at the island and goes, can you see right there? That's Yeah, that's where we had the internment camps during World War II. <laughs> so we have these pictures. Oh, I mean... <laughs> After we get engaged and we're you know we're happy and he's like hey by the way that's where we imprison people during World War II right there where the uh, right behind you in the pictures that I just took of you uh, okay <laughs> thanks uh, thanks for sharing that thanks for raining on our happy parade <laughs> yeah I was just I was just thinking through I've been to a bunch of major league ballparks but not nearly as many current ballparks like like some of the old ones that have gone away. Um, like the Metrodome, saw a Twins game there. Let's look at it, and I'm going to knock another one off uh, the list next weekend, or not this coming weekend, but the weekend after. Planning on going to see a Rockies game in Denver uh, on the end of uh, kind of the tail end of our vacation. So that'll be a, another one to uh, chip off. Apparently, that but, place is spectacular. I'm sure you've already heard that. I, I mean, I've, I've seen the ballpark from the outside. I've never been inside it before. Uh, I got two big ones, though, that have got to get checked off the list, and it needs to be sooner rather than later. I still have not been to Wrigley or Fenway. And as a big-time baseball fan, I'm a little embarrassed to say that out loud. But uh, hopefully in the next year or two we'll uh, check those off as well. Just getting started with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. We've got a bunch to get to this afternoon, including a conversation with Deuce McAllister, when we come back on the Farm Bureau phone line. You can join us on the Ceasefire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. And don't forget that uh, if you need it, you can get your phone or perhaps your Mac 
fixed at a C Spire Repair Center. They're all about making happy experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, cracked screens, busted speakers, system crashes. They've seen it all and fixed it all. Any phone, any carrier, C Spire, customer inspired. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, chat with our buddy Deuce McAllister at Farm Bureau. You can check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Deuce, happy start of training camp. I, I, I think I ask this to you every year, and your answer is always emphatic when I say, do you miss it? And you say, no, not at all. No, I do not miss, it, miss that part of it, at least the training camp part of it. You know, uh, guys are getting ready and sweating to make sure they can weigh in at the right weight, and guys are getting ready to make sure that they can do <laughs> the conditioning test as well. So um, don't miss that whatsoever. I've heard college teams talk before about what their conditioning test was. I know at one point, um, maybe this was even for high school football, you had to do timed 100-yard dashes. I think it was 16 of them. What was the conditioning test like for you when you were with the Saints to to be cleared for the start of practice? That was pretty much the same as well. Um, under under Coach Hasler, it was the 16-110s. And uh, different strength and conditioning coaches as well as the head coaches, they may have different processes, how they kind of qualify guys. But most of the time, if you have been there with them throughout the summer and you've done 90% of your conditioning test, then those guys are exempt from the time portion of it. Um, there are other ways, like Sean, he'll have a raffle in a sense of players that don't have to do the conditioning test. And so you're, if you're one of those lucky three players, um, <laughs> in the end, quickly, you'll sell that, 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 um, prize or quote unquote gift that Sean has given to you as a player. Um, so there's a couple different ways, but most of the coaches now, they do the 300 yard shuttle. And basically that is, uh, over to the 50 back back to the 50 back, back to the 50 back. And that's the shuttle. You do it three times. Uh, it's timed. And, you know, the first two are are pretty well conditioned. The third one is just, man, you're gutting it out. I mean, because it's a, it's, it, it, it's almost like pulling teeth to try to qualify. Mm. That does uh, – that kind of sounds miserable, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> but uh, I get it. You gotta, you got to be ready to roll. Hey, I want to bounce something off of you that we were talking about yesterday. In the NBA in particular, this new concept, and maybe it's not a new thing, but people calling it this is new, load management. Uh, Kawhi Leonard sits out 20 games last year because they want him to be healthy at the uh, at the end of the regular season. LeBron sits out. He's getting older, a lot of miles on the on the legs at this point. Is there a scenario in the NFL – where something like that would work for a veteran quarterback, i.e. a guy like Drew Brees, who you know if you're going to make a run deep into the playoffs, he's got to be at his best, he's got to be healthy, he's got to be strong. What if you pulled something where you said in week 7 or week 11, Drew Brees is not playing, we're playing our backup quarterback. Is there a scenario where that would work? Coaches do it now, but it's in practice. So I, even for myself, after the knee surgeries, uh, I didn't practice on Wednesdays. 
And so uh, me and Sean, he, he he trusted me enough. Even Drew, Drew may not throw as much during the off season, just because he wants his arm to be a little fresher. And so you see coaches cut back as far as practices are concerned. But the NBA for guys to rest because of load management, yeah, that's a little bit different. You don't have the games. You don't have enough games. I, I don't think in the NFL to really truly truly be able to do it. You may pull a guy because you're up. Uh, in the third quarter, hey, look, we have a 28-point lead. We're going to pull our quarterback. You know, and even some of those quarterbacks or even star players, they don't want to get pulled just because they have uh, incentives tied to mm-hmm. uh percentage of plays, a uh, percentage of uh, if the offense is the top-five offense, different things of that nature. They have incentives tied to it. So it's it's a little different. You don't have the amount of games, but the coaches, the really good coaches, they will manage their veteran players uh, during practice. I mean, he'll give the, the older guys, uh, you don't, you're not going to go on Wednesday. Some coaches will say, okay, well, you can take Friday off uh, instead of, you know, working. If you worked earlier in the week, you can take later off as, as game time gets a little closer. And I'm assuming with a guy like Drew Brees, it would be difficult to convince him to go along with an idea like that in the he's first not, place. He's not going to do it. Yeah, he's not, Drew, Drew, Drew's yeah. not going to do it. I mean, he, 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 he micromanage may not be the correct word, but you you understand what I'm saying. He wants every throw. I mean, because like right now, even though they start the, their practices on Friday, you know, going out on the field and do, and doing it, uh, the practice. They Sean has already had that already mapped out. You know how many plays they're going to run, what plays they're going to run. Uh, Drew, you're going to take this play. Teddy, you're going to take this play. Taysom, you're going to take this play. Drew has already seen it. You know as far as the script is concerned, so he knows on Friday he's going to take 38 throws. You know I'm, I'm making that number up, but he already knows I'm going to take all 38 of my throws. You know unless Sean runs it again, you know he may get an extra throw in, but he knows exactly how many throws he is going to take. And, you know, he wants to take every rep. Visiting with Deuce McAllister on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. What are the what are the things that you want to see or that you need to see over the next month with this Saints team to feel really good going into the season? Really, it's about two weeks. Um, you can you can get a true gauge of in about two weeks. And and one of the things you want to see is how the year two guys are developed. You know, and that's you know you, you look at a guy like Davenport. Um, can he stay healthy? How much quickness is is he playing? Hesitating? Is he hesitating? Is he hesitant as far as coming out of the snap? You know, does he have? Different moves that he's using, you'll you'll be you'll be able to see that fairly quickly. That's one of the things I want to see. Traquan Smith, you know, has he expanded that route tree? You know, does he feel comfortable? Uh, is he only running three or four routes? Some of those things you'll be able to see fairly quickly. And then the other thing is, can they avoid the injury bug? I mean, and uh, you'll be able to tell that. Like I said, Sean has we'll call it seventy plays. Uh, how many are Taron Armstead taking? You know, is he going heavy early in camp or is he going light in camp? to make sure that he is ready to go for week one. You know, and that, that's kind of the same with Michael Thomas and Jared Cook, some of those elite guys uh, that you know that they're going to be depending on. You will see how they're fitting in fairly quickly. And so for me, I want to see the year two guys as well as even probably guys that are going into year three. You know, can Marcus Williams bounce back? He had a phenomenal camp last year, but probably not the year overall 
that you would want him to to have. Kind of Marcus Lattimore, the same thing. Not that, you know, I think he started slow, but he came on as the year went on, but it wasn't the Marcus Lattimore of his rookie year. And then, you know, Kent Alvin, uh, Kamara handled the load uh, as far as being the featured guy, even though you know that they will use Murray. This is Alvin's team as far as the running back is concerned. Deuce, only about a minute and a half or so left. Michael Thomas, Charles Robinson at uh, Yahoo Sports a couple of days ago said that um, they were getting closer, it sounded like. I I think there was hope that this new deal was going to get done before training camp begins. Obviously, there's not much time left to to get that done. Where, Where does this deal with Michael Thomas end up? It's a boatload of money. You know, the, the question becomes: Will he be the first? Will he be the first twenty million dollar receiver? And you know, I, I know both sides. I, I, I know the cons and the pros of yay, nay. He should, he shouldn't. Uh, he's a dynamic player, and I don't know if it gets done before camp opens. I think that it may extend into camp, but I think Mike has already shown that he's willing to to go along if they're showing some progress. And you know, I know that they were probably a couple million off, but hopefully it gets done because he's a he's a he's a dynamic player he's, he's a unique player he's physical and he loves to compete I, I don't want to put you in a bad spot by asking this so if you need to defer on this i certainly understand but is michael thomas worthy of being the highest paid wide receiver in the nfl yes now are there other receivers okay. that could be say the same thing yes there are but i mean it's, so, so he's in that group in this game Deuce, you still there? I think I lost you. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I just, I was just saying, in, in your mind, he's in that group with DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones and uh, maybe Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown. Those guys, he he belongs there. AJ Green, Odell. Uh, I mean, because it's it's about who does it first. I mean, because if Mike Thomas, if Michael Thomas gets twenty million, I can guarantee you, and within two days or within a week, Julio Jones, who is waiting on Michael Thomas to do his deal, he wants 20.1. I mean, and so that's just how the market goes. So Julio's pulling for Michael Thomas to get every single penny that he can possibly get. And do not take a discount at all because you're messing me up because I'm behind you. That's the conversation that they're having. (laughs) That's how it goes. Deuce, great insight as always. Look forward to talking to you soon. All right, no problem. Thank you. Deuce McAllister, New Orleans Saints Radio Network, color analyst there, does a fantastic job on the radio. And always uh, fun to get a former player uh, who's got insight into what training camp is like to, uh, to chat with us. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good conversation with Deuce McAllister. Coming up to begin the 4 o'clock hour, we'll talk with John Harris from the Houston Texans and footballtakeover.com. Kind of take a uh, bigger look at the NFL and some of the big storylines as training camp begins. That's coming up all about half an hour from uh, right now. Sports Talk is streaming online at supertalk.fm. Don't forget you can always grab the podcast if you miss anything on the show. Anything that Deuce said, Borky, jump out at you, the, the Michael Thomas news in particular? Yeah, and 
I, I hesitate with that so much. I go back and forth on it, whether or not they should pay him that kind of money because Alvin Kamara is going to command elite-level running back kind of money, especially with the way the position works now. You're seeing a trend across the board in the NFL where running backs are, are just not valuable. I mean, the fourth receiver on some NFL teams are more efficient with their touches than running backs, and the teams are noticing that. And so big contracts for running backs just aren't happening anymore. But Alvin Kamara has, to use a baseball term, a higher war than any other running back in football because he's so good at catching the ball out of the backfield. So you got to pay him, yeah. even though he's a running back and the trend's going the other direction. Uh, you've got to pay Ryan Ramchek coming up. You've got to pay Lattimore coming up. You've got to concede, uh, unless Teddy Bridgewater works out, maybe go get a new quarterback, and suddenly you're having to throw a bunch of money at these dudes. And I, I mean, where are you going to build a roster when you have to do that? So he's really good, led the NFL in catches a year ago. But do you want to hamstring yourself to one wide receiver when you've got to pay a bunch of other dudes too? Well, but isn't that kind of the deal when you've got a top five talent at his position? You got to pay him like a top five guy. Got to secure it, and they can work around it too, especially. But um, they're going to do it. They should do it. And you've got a really good tight end too, which helps a lot. At the end of last year, when Ted Ginn was hurt, they had such a problem with defenses focusing on stopping Mike Thomas, and it worked. And the downfield passing game wasn't really as effective because there there was no complementary receiver to also uh, cause focus. Uh, you could match up one-on-one with everybody else and then bracket cover Mike Thomas and then, okay, throw the ball on us. And it didn't work. So maybe Jared Cook's addition will, will help that a lot because even though he is a tight end, he's a, he's a secondary receiver is what he is. He's, he's number two wide receiver for the Saints this year. He's that good. So maybe that'll help a lot and make it worth it. I don't know. Yeah, and it sounds like this is not one of those ugly negotiations. Mike Thomas wanted $22 million. Saints offered, what, in the 18-19 range back at the beginning of June or sometime in June. Thomas has come off of his number a little bit, but sounds like he wants to be at about $20 million. And you would think that the Saints probably would be willing to come up a little bit, you know, whether you get to 20 or if it's 19-4 or whatever the number is. And then I thought it was interesting what Deuce, uh, Deuce said as well. Julio Jones is not going to sign his deal until Michael Thomas gets his deal because Michael Thomas is likely to be the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. Well, guess what? Julio says, I'm better than Michael Thomas. You're going to have to pay me more than he gets. And so... I would think that Julio Jones is perfectly fine with waiting, you know, for as long as it takes. That's what you heard Deuce say a second ago. Julio's not going to sign his deal before Michael Thomas signs his deal. It's just kind of a pecking order thing, almost like it's a seniority deal. And Julio Jones deserves to be the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. It's I hard think. to argue. Really is. He's really good. And really physical and does a lot of things well. Yeah, Big, that team might end strong, up being really good fast, this year. Great hands. That's hard for a Saints fan to say, isn't it? Yeah, and I really the like Falcons what, might be really good. I really like what they did in the draft. They're going to start five former first round picks on the offensive line. Hey, they got they got so much better up front because they traded up so they could draft two guys in the first round, both of them linemen. 
which is a big problem for them last year. So they've got the receiving core, which may be the best in the NFL. And then Matt Ryan, who's good enough, and now an offensive line that has five former first-round picks on it. They're going to score some points. Yeah. Uh, we are continuing to count down to the start of the college football season. Let's jump in and grab team number 37 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Team number 37 on the countdown out of the Big 12, the TCU Horned Frogs. You're a day early, by the way. We are 38 days away. I'm just counting it down. I'm so ready. Team number 38. I just decided to make up number 37. TCU at 7-6 and six last year. It's been up and down for the, uh, the last four years for TCU. 2015, they went 11-2. and two. And in 2016, they went six and seven. And in 2017, they went 11 and three. And then last year, they went seven and six. They played in that epic bowl game, the Cheez It Bowl, against Cal last year and won it 10 to seven. It was not a work of art. Year before that, they beat Stanford in the Alamo Bowl 39 37. 2016, they lost to Georgia in the Liberty Bowl. How about that? Three years ago, Georgia played in the Liberty Bowl. Year after that, they're in the college football playoff. Year after that, they're in the Sugar Bowl. Not a bad trend for Georgia. Alamo Bowl against Oregon. They won in overtime after the 2015 season, after the 2014 season. Yeah, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you'd just not, you'd prefer not to think about how that went. Beat Ole Miss 42 to 3 in the, uh, the Peach Bowl and very much played with a chip on their shoulder in, uh, in that ball game. TCU. Gary Patterson is entering his 19th season in Fort Worth as the head coach. And, Borky, I don't know if there's a better example of a coach who has evolved with the evolution of college football than Gary Patterson. Oh, yeah. He was a defensive guy. He was a grinded-out coach. And then he realized the game's changed. We got to throw it. We play in the Big 12. We still want to play good defense, but we've got to throw it all over the place. And boy, have they done that in recent years. It's pretty incredible, too. If you look at his entire tenure at TCU, this is my favorite thing. It gets pointed out almost every year. His worst seasons as a head coach are almost exclusively followed by double digit win seasons. So starting all the way back in 2001, they went 6 and 6. 2002, they went 10 and 2. 2004, he went 5 and 6. 2005, he went 11 and 1. 2007, he went 8 and 5. 2008, 11 and 2. 2012, 7 and 6, followed with a 4 and 8, and then 12 and 1. 2016, 6 mm-hmm. and 7, 11 and 3. Last year, 7 and 6. You think they're winning double digit games this year? The schedule, does it set up for that? Let's see. Arkansas Pine Bluff to start the year. There's a gimme. Then an open date. Then they play four in a row. On the road against Purdue in a non-conference game. That one's not easy. SMU at home, Kansas at home. Then they go to Iowa State before they have their second open date. Then at Kansas State, Texas comes to Fort Worth. they got to go to Stillwater. 
They host Baylor, go to Lubbock and Norman in back-to-back weeks, and then close out the season at home against West Virginia on the Friday after Thanksgiving. The home team has won four straight in that series. Alex Delton is going to be the quarterback, it looks like, the transfer from um, Kansas State. Sounds like Matthew Baldwin is going to be the backup. He was, um, I don't know. Offensively, a year ago, they were just off. They did not have a 1,000-yard rusher. They did not have a 3,000-yard passer. Didn't even have a 2,500-yard passer. In fact, if you combine the two guys that played the majority of the snaps at quarterback a year ago, Sean Robinson and Mike Collins, they only combined for about 2,400 yards passing. So it was not a marquee year. There was not uh, a Kenny Hill running the offense. There certainly was not a Trayvon Boykin running the offense. Not an Andy Dalton running the offense. They had some good quarterbacks at TCU under uh, under Gary Patterson. So what do you think? Do you think they get to 11 this year? Just by default. I mean, they're at least getting to 10, right? Um I was having a conversation this morning, and it was about te- Texas and Oklahoma, and whether one of those two just whoever wins the Red River shootout, even though we can't call it that anymore, will be any e- just an easy path to the college football playoff. And I said, there's two reasons why that's not the case: TCU and then Iowa State are both going to be at least better in the Big Twelve, and not let Texas and Oklahoma just walk right through the league this year. How about this for famous alumni? Rod Roddy, the longtime announcer with Bob Barker at The Price is Right. Rob, uh, Rod Roddy, Bob Schieffer, also an alum at TCU. They're team number 38 on the countdown. I think I've seen this for Mississippi State or Southern Miss yet. Ole Miss will begin its fall practice on Friday, August 2nd. So that is a week from Friday. The team will report, although I guess everybody's there already, on uh, on Thursday, August 1st. You'll have a media day that afternoon. And then we'll uh, begin practice on Friday, August 2nd. And then we'll uh, they'll get rolling from uh, from there on, and uh, roll right into Saturday, August thirty first. So Borky, as of next Thursday, we're in game month. Yeah. Not quite to game week, but we are in game month, and that's when football's really here. I think Stephen Godfrey said it on Twitter, and he was absolutely right. He said. Uh, football season does not start with a bunch of reporters wandering around a mall for a week. No, next Thursday when the players actually report to camp is when it's like actually football season. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, I know unofficial, I know. unofficial start of football season, right? Well, they Isn't keep calling the it kickoff. They need to stop calling it kickoff. The unofficial start is fine, but. 
Yeah, like on all the banners and stuff. Well, they like, just call it SEC kickoff. Yeah, I mean, but it's not a kickoff. Kicking off the beginning of the season. Well, oh, but it's a. I mean, it's not like a literal term. Kickoff is a literal term, though. It's when they literally kick the ball off the tee to start a game. Yes, I understand that, but literal terms can have multiple meanings. What are they going to call that, by the way, once it inevitably goes away? Because the kickoff is eventually going away. It will. I'd guess within, what, five years it's gone in college football? That's maybe a little liberal, so oh, 10 oh, years. You, you, you were talking about the literal kickoff? Yes, the I thought actual you were talking kickoff. about SEC Media Days. Oh, no, Media Days is only going to get bigger, man. Uh, uh, Peter Burns, uh, your buddy, seems to think that they're going to end up making it a, an event like where fans get to show up and the player like gets introduced on a stage like WWE style. I would not be surprised if that ends up happening, but... The actual. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in two years in Nashville, Borky. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This is uh, a little little knowledge, little little inside knowledge here. The plan for SEC Media Days in in two years in Nashville, and it's very much in its infancy. But they're thinking miniature version of the NFL draft last year. See, I love that. I mean, obviously, you, you can't replicate the NFL draft because you're not going to have 150,000 people show up on Broadway for it. But the red carpet experience, I, I'll tell you something else, and I don't know that this happens, but there's been just a little bit of discussion about media days turning into media nights. So as to try, and, and there would probably be a bunch of angry sports writers. Oh, well, they're More always angry, angry sports writers. I mean, come on. When are they not but, angry? It, they'll be but fine. The but idea, the, the idea behind it is instead of programming that runs from 9 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon, why not try and grab some of that primetime audience and do media nights? I mean, nothing else is going on, right? You might as well. I mean... I don't know that it's great for radio shows, either. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, what we'll be we, fine. I mean, what do we do? Do we say, uh, for the week of SEC Media Days, instead of broadcasting from 3 to 6, we will be on with you from 6 until 9? No, we go to the event. We, we participate in the event. We do the show and have some some guests on like we always do, and then go to the event and like participate in it. Because if they're throwing a party, it's a party. And I don't want to be sitting here with, as long as I don't get left behind that year, um, I don't want to be sitting there with headphones on while a party's going on. Yeah, I understand. Um, we don't have time for this right now. We've got, uh, we got some some dumb criminal news, Pawn Stars style. Super Bowl rings and the television show Pawn Stars combine to bring you dumb criminal news. We'll get to that a little bit later this afternoon. Uh, coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line, we're going to visit with uh, John Harris from the Houston Texans. He writes at HoustonTexans.com. He is the sideline reporter on their uh, their radio network, does uh, some work with Texans TV. He's on the radio in Houston all the time, uh, really locked in on the NFL and also on college football. 
And uh, we will chat with John coming up in uh, in just a few minutes. It's Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Tomorrow is our seventh annual Palmer Home for Children Radio Fine. It gets started at six o'clock tomorrow morning, and we can't wait. We're going to be at the new campus of uh, Palmer Home in Hernando this year instead of uh, in Columbus. So a little bit of a uh, venue switch. Looking forward to seeing. All the new stuff that's going on at Palmer Home and bringing all of that to you. And we hope you are making your plans to donate uh, for all the good work that's happening at Palmer Home. Seventh annual Super Talk Mississippi Palmer Home for Children Radiothon tomorrow starting at 6 a.m. with the Gallo Show and running until we wrap up on on Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's go straight to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Harris from the Houston Texans, houstontexans.com. His website is footballtakeover.com. He's on the radio, he's on television, and he's on the sidelines with the Texans radio network. Does that cover it all, or is there more in your bio? That's, That's a busy business card, John. It is very much so, Richard, uh, but uh, I've, I've learned to live with it over the years, so um, it's good. You know, it's one thing we talk about, you know, when you and I talk a lot about draft, you know, that's one of the words that we bring up a lot, versatility. So hopefully that's what uh, I practice what I preach. We like versatile draft picks, and hopefully people like my versatility. Give me the number one storyline for you going into Texans camp. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you want to talk about the GM? Do you want to talk about Jadeveon Clowney? Do you want to talk about the growth of Deshaun Watson, I, the, the offensive line? It's, it, you know, it's, so, it's weird. There's so many of them uh, in some sense. I know around here, Richard, it is what are the Texans going to do without a GM? But I think, I think nationally, for people looking at the Texans, it would be what are you going to do with the offensive line? Is the offensive line going to be as bad as it was last year? I would think nationally that would be the storyline for most people. But in Houston, I think people are like, look, the offensive line will be better. What about this whole GM thing and what's going to go on with that? I, I'll be honest. I don't have a serious problem with it, uh, with, with not having a GM. It's just people are so used to, well, this is how you do it, right? This is how you do it. Well, no. No. The team that's won six Super Bowls in how many ever years does it a completely different way from all 31 other teams. So you don't have to do everything just like everybody else. But I would think nationally – it's the offensive line. What's going to happen with the offensive line? Can the offensive line get better? And can it protect Deshaun Watson? If it does, which people don't think will happen, but we in Houston think that it can, the Texans can be a pretty decent football team. With no general manager, does it become kind of front office by committee? It, yeah, and I think that's the thing, Richard. For people that, that don't follow the NFL as closely – it's pretty much that way for every team. I mean, I think about, you know, my buddy Chris Ballard, who's the GM for the Indianapolis Colts. And, look, there's there's one voice up there, and it's Chris's. But Chris takes input from everybody. When they sit in there and they watch potential draft picks, everybody in the room, all the way down to the scouting assistants, has a voice, and Chris is going to hear it. He listens to Frank Reich. Frank wants something. Chris is going to listen to it. And he takes all that into account, and he makes a decision from that. That's essentially what's going on here. It's just that there isn't a GM to do that. There are just going to be this consortium in some sense of of committee members, if you will, that are going to sit down, 
and they're going to say, okay, Chris, what's the salary cap ramifications? All right, Baz, what are we going to do player personnel-wise? Okay, Jack, you, you know, what's football ops saying? And then ultimately that all goes towards Bill O'Brien to say, what personnel do we need to have on this team and what deals do we need to make? So we're just doing the same thing we've always done. It's just that there's no, I don't say middleman, but there's no, there's, there's no other voice next to Bill O'Brien. It's just their voices are going to be accumulated through Bill as opposed to Bill and the GM. So we'll go without it and we'll see how it goes. And if it's a tragic loss, then Cal McNair, the, uh, the owner's going to have to make a decision on how he wants it done going forward. But for right now, they're going to roll with it. They feel like they've got the team in place to get it done. And we're going to do things a little differently than we've ever done them in the past, which has really, really upset the apple cart here in Houston. Have you, uh, have you thrown your name into the ring to be the general manager? <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. I was actually driving into work one day, and uh, the two morning show hosts at our flagship station, I'm just driving. I'm not really paying too much attention. I'm listening, but I'm not. And they all of a sudden, I hear one of them say, I know we started this as a little bit of a joke, but how would you feel about John Harris being the GM? And then they both sat there for the next 10 to 12 minutes making a case for me to be the GM. And I was just like, uh, I was flattered. I thought it was great. But, you know, they brought up some, some really good points. I mean, I, I've been doing the scouting thing. You know, it's been on my own for, I mean, it's got a, it's 20, almost 20 years, I would think. Um, so, you know, and I was around and coaching. I've been around a game for a long time. And I think that's the thing when you see – you know, when Mike Mayock took the job last year with the Raiders, everybody was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But because Mayock was such a public figure in the draft, they could say, okay, that, that makes sense. Like, I can, I can see that. I get that. Yeah. So they gave him sort of a, uh, not a pass, but they said, okay, we'll, we'll see what he does. And then he made a couple of key trades on draft day, and everybody's like, hey, Mayock can do this. And, look, if you ask some NFL coaches around the league, you know, they would tell you, look, I can do the GM thing. We just need somebody that kind of brings, you know, hey, what players should we be looking at, pro and college? Which ones should we be looking at? And then the coaches end up making decisions uh, at, at that point. So could I could I do something like that? Oh, ab- absolutely. But I know see, Bill O'Brien. See, John, he isn't about to have me as a GM. Yeah. I uh, See, I would see good and bad in this. The, the bad – my guess is the frequency with which you could uh, come on the radio and talk to me would probably go down. But the good is, I feel like I probably would have a, a pretty nice in on uh, some good tickets if I wanted to come check out a, uh, a Texans game. Oh, uh, Richard, I, first of all, I can hook you up with tickets. I can get you tickets. Now, I can't put you in a suite. Like a GM could put you in a suite, in his suite. Right. So I, I can't do that, but I could. I could get you – in the building for sure, down on the sidelines for me with pregame. So I can hook you up to a degree right now, but you're right. You would you would get sweet tickets. And look, anytime you would need me to come on the radio, I would come on the radio with you anytime, no matter what. You're the best. Hey, let's talk about Jadavion Clowney for a second. On the surface, this thing, I think, outside looking in kind of looks bad. Oh, might be headed toward a holdout. He's not going to be in training camp. But I was thinking about it a little bit. And this is not a unique situation. Guys want more money. The leverage they have is not to show up. Is this concerning, or is this just business in the NFL? Well, I think it's a little it's, it's a little bit of both. I think it's more the business than concerning. I think the only reason that people are a little bit concerned around here, Richard, is the fact that last year, J.D. at some point said, because in training camp, they really kind of held him back. He was kind of rehabbing from... From something last year, I don't exactly remember what it was. It might have been a little bit of a knee thing. 
And so he didn't do much in training camp. And so then the first game, he goes against the Patriots and just wasn't completely right. And then he missed game two, came back in game three, and really wasn't right until week four. And if that happens again this year, we play the Saints, the Jags, and the Chargers. And that means we're facing Mm. Drew Brees, a Super Bowl MVP, and Phillip Rivers. We better have Jadeveon Clowney at 100%, and I think that's the worry. Because later on in the season, he said, yeah, it took me a little while to get going. I needed training camp to kind of keep going. And then all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, he's holding out or potentially holding out and not going to be here for training camp. So that's that's the concern level. But J.D., the last four or five years, has put in more time in the offseason. He comes back stronger. I mean, when he comes back off the offseason, I mean, it's freakish. You look at him and go, my God, can you imagine getting hit by that guy running 4-5-5-40 at 270 pounds? I mean, it's scary. But that's really the only concern is, okay, how fast, if he does hold out on all training camp and then is ready to go week one, how ready to go is he? How how much in football shape is he at that point? And that's the concern. But really, this is it's the way business is done. The only other time that we franchised a player was 2009. Dante Robinson, who played at South Carolina, he wanted to get paid. So the first game of the year, he had Nike embroider on his shoes, pay me Rick. And Rick Smith was our general manager. He had pay me Rick on his shoes. And ultimately, hmm. Robinson did not play well in 2009. He did not get paid by the Texans. And it was a good move because within two years, he was out of the league. Now, Klein is going to be in the league for a while. But I still think the Texans had a really hard time and have had a really hard time deciding what his value is because he's not been the pass rusher that they'd like to have him be. They, you know, they want a guy that gets 14, 15, 16 sacks a year like J.J. Watt, but they don't see that. But, man, he's incredible against the run. He's a versatile nightmare for teams to have to account for. He just, his value is different, and I think that's where the impact is. of uh, What he sees as value, what the Texans see the value, and I don't know, maybe one more year of him just being dominant, the Texans will go, okay, let's pay him what he wants and let's bring him back because we've got to have him. But all signs indicate that he'll come back and that he's going to be ready to go week one, and hopefully that concern will be alleviated when he steps on the field against Drew Brees and the Saints in week one on Monday Night Football. John, last thing, less than a minute left. What position does Jadavion County Clowney play? See a defensive end or a linebacker? Whatever position he wants, brother. That's the way I look at it. He's played inside, <laughs> for us, he's played inside linebacker, three technique. He's played hand down defensive end. He's played stand up outside linebacker. He's played every position on the front seven for us in his six years of being here. Every single one, Richie. That, that's no lie. Not all the same game. He does do that in the same game, but I've seen him play every single front seven position for the Texans. So when people ask me, we just say he plays the front seven. Because, like, pick a spot and he can play. He's the only guy I've ever seen that can do that. But that's how versatile he actually is for us. Well, in terms of the franchise tag, we we talk about gender identity. He identifies himself, I think, as a defensive end, regardless of how everybody else looks at it. John, you're the best, man. Always enjoy visiting with you. Enjoy training camp, and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Richard. Take care, buddy. Thank you. That's John Harris from the Houston Texans. Big old football sandwich when we talk to uh, John Harris. Yeah, the uh, Texans kind of wanted to classify him as a linebacker. He goes, no, I'm a defensive end. Back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Richard Cross, Michael Borky with you on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Tomorrow, 
Palmer Home Radiothon right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We'll be on campus at Palmer Home raising money for that incredible institution. And that's exactly what it is. They've been around for over 100 years in uh, in the state of Mississippi. And Gallo will kick things off at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. You'll have JT from 10 until 1. Rebecca will take the reins from 1 until 3. And then we will carry you home tomorrow night. And uh, looking forward to it. And looking forward to uh, having Michael Borky there on site. And it'll be your first time, right? It will be my first time. And it, I guess it's technically a first time for you, too, right? A completely new campus that we're going to this time. Or different, Seventh time I, I overall. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different place. They've had the Hernando campus for a while. Some expansion stuff going on there. Um, kind of centralizing the operations. We'll learn all about that tomorrow. Uh, really good and some progressive things happening for – can you say that word? I mean, does that have a negative connotation now, progressive? I, I just No, not in that context. Level. Yeah. Um, but some, some really cool stuff happening at, uh, at Palmer Home. And uh, the mission never changes. The base mission of Palmer Home never changes, and that's to rescue and restore children who are in need, who are coming from – uh, difficult circumstances that are no making of their own and giving them a home where they care for their uh, their physical well-being, their sp- spiritual needs, their emotional needs, their educational needs, all of that's taken care of and no government money uh, falls into the equation. I mean, this is all private donations from people just like you who care enough about a place like this that is uh, uniquely Mississippi, taking care of children that are largely from Mississippi, and uh, many of whom stay in Mississippi. And uh, they get a chance in life that they might not have other had, uh, otherwise had because of Palmer Home. And uh, we look forward to sharing more of that with you tomorrow. This story is uh, it's kind of been floating around today. The Athletic, Mike Sando wrote the story. And he did a tier ranking of NFL quarterbacks. Uh, Polled 55 NFL coaches and executives to put the list together. Asked them to put together all non-rookie NFL quarterbacks in five tiers. And then he grouped the results. So let's go kind of in reverse order. Uh, Although we don't have any... Do they not do any tier five quarterbacks? Only got four. Maybe it's four tiers they put. Well, them. they they put them into five, but most people didn't even like use a fifth. There wasn't enough okay. guys that got a, a tier five vote to to put that in there. All right, so your tier four starting quarterbacks in the NFL: Lamar Jackson, uh, Josh Allen. Fitzmagic, <laughs> Case Keenum, and Josh Rosen. That's so unfair for Rosen. And I know why they do it, because his rookie year didn't go very well. But he was behind, and I've said this before on this show, one of the worst offensive lines in the history of football in his rookie year, and he had a coordinator change halfway through the season. We have no idea what he's capable of as a pro right now. I mean, maybe you know, maybe he won't accelerate, but to to put him at the very bottom without really knowing is it's not really fair. Well, he's at the bottom right now. So the reverse order or, or bottom to top: Josh Rosen, Case Keenum, uh, Fitz, 
Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. This is where the debate is really going to begin. Tier three. You've got, what, 10, 11 guys in this group? Sam Darnold, Marcus Mariota, Mitch Trubisky, Eli Manning. So Trubisky ranked as the number 25 quarterback in the NFL. Eli Manning, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Foles, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Cam Newton. Mm. Yeah, where to, where to begin on this? One, starting at the bottom, real quick, Marcus Mariota, there's been enough written from uh, Nashville, Central Tennessee, where people believe that this is a make-or-break year for him, where if he doesn't okay. improve, take a step forward, lead them to uh, maybe a, a little playoff run, uh, they might think about moving him and drafting a quarterback. Here's the crazy thing about this portion of the list. All right, so you're talking about guys that are ranked 27 through about 15. Is that right? 26, 25, 24, 23, 22, 21, 20. Yeah, 27 through 15. And now start thinking about what these guys are getting paid that are on this list. Eli Manning. Big money with the Giants. Jameis Winston. Big money. Andy Dalton's not poor. Flacco got a big deal a few years ago. Derek Carr, hasn't he gotten... Is he still on his first contract with Oakland, or is he into his second? Derek Carr uh, had a $125 million contract at $25 million a year. There you go. Jimmy Garoppolo, we know he signed the huge deal a year ago in San Francisco. $27.5 million a year. Foles? Foles is with Dak Jacksonville, Prescott, right? $22 million a year. Dak Prescott is about to be in the neighborhood of $30 million. Kirk Cousins getting paid big time in Minnesota. 28. Cam Newton getting paid... Newton's at $28 million? No, uh, Kirk Cousins is at 28 Cam Newton is just under 21 Okay. So now Tier 2, and this is a smaller group. Again, how did you come together with this list? It was put together by Mike Sando of The Athletic, but it's not his opinion. He polled 55 NFL coaches and executives to make the list. So the biggest list, or the biggest group is Tier 3. You had five players that were Tier 4 quarterbacks on this list, 12 that were in Tier 3, small group here in Tier 2. Baker Mayfield. And they've got him on the cheap right now, in comparison. Jared Goff hasn't gotten to his second contract yet. Deshaun Watson. Has he signed his second deal? He's still on his rookie contract, isn't he? He is, yeah. Yeah, he gets paid... Either next year or the year after. Deshaun Watson's going to make $3.5 million this year. Matt Stafford, big money in Detroit. Carson Wentz. Matt Ryan, huge money in Atlanta. Those are the only six guys 
that 55 NFL coaches and executives put in Tier 2. And then here are your Tier 1 quarterbacks, from worst to first. Sorry, Borky, we still there? Yeah, we're here. I don't know if you heard anything or not, but it just like exploded in my It sounded ear. like trying to get on the internet in 1996. Okay, so you could hear that? A little bit, yeah. It was faint, but yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. All right. Worst to first tier one. Russell Wilson just got paid. Big Ben, huge money. Phillip Rivers, huge money. Andrew Luck, huge money. Mahomes, not very much. <laughs> Rookie deal. Drew Brees, big money. Tom Brady, big money. Aaron Rodgers, ranked as the number one quarterback in the NFL by 55 coaches and executives. Not much of a debate at the top, right? It's really focusing on on two and three. Because find me one person that can argue with the tier one and then cutting it off there as well. I don't think Matt Ryan, even though he took his team to a Super Bowl, and his production's actually pretty good, he's not a tier one NFL quarterback at all. Uh, Carson Wentz, not even close. Matt Stafford, big contract, puts up some numbers, has some upside, doesn't win enough. Eh, Bad team. Bad team, but still. Uh, Deshaun Watson, I think, could eventually get there, depending on what they do in Houston. Goff may feel fine, but none of those guys are, are Tier 1 quarterbacks. The debate is why somebody like Dak Prescott, for example, who has produced more in a similar time frame than Carson Wentz, is one level below, five, six guys below him. That's yeah. the question. Let's look a little closer at this list when we come back. See, I think Matt Ryan is right there. I mean, he's he's at the top of Tier 2. I think he could easily be at the bottom of Tier 1. And I think Baker Mayfield's a little high. Ben Roethlisberger, does he still deserve to be in Tier 1? Is Baker Mayfield, I, I mentioned him a second ago, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Back after this. Check out the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Good way for you to get in touch with us. Tell us your thoughts. Some of you have done that. Dan in Charleston. I don't follow the NFL anymore, but I've always thought Prescott is overrated. I know state fans will condemn me for that. Dan, by the way, a Southern Miss fan. Uh... Dak can't be higher than Cam when he's just a poor man's Cam. Cam is rated too low on this list, and I'm a Saints fan. Mm, I disagree somewhat. I I think the Panthers would be better off if they moved Cam Newton and started over. There's clearly a ceiling with him, and now he's coming off of so- shoulder surgery. There's some maturity issues. It just it never felt right with him there anyway. And, yes, he's a different player. He's physical, and he's got a big arm. But has he ever, outside of his one season, when what was that, years ago, right, 2013? He hasn't done anything. And that's been a division, with the exception of New Orleans for the last two years, but otherwise, it's been a division he's been in without very good defenses. And he's not producing very much. 
You know, I think in some respects I'm still jaded. Not jaded. Uh, my opinion is colored by what I saw him do in college. In 2015, he had 35 touchdown passes and 10 picks. That was the best of his career. Most TDs and fewest picks in the same season. Last three years, 19 and 14, 22 and 16, 24 and 13. Here's what I would say about Cam Newton. One, I disagree about him not fitting. I think you're, I mean, he's the face of that franchise. He he's the face, but the franchise hasn't been very good. It, that, that's what I'm saying. Not that. Um, no, I, I understand. But but I guess what I was going to say, the the thing that gives me pause with Cam Newton is is not potential. It's not big playability. It's not arm strength. It's not physicalness. It's consistency. You can watch Cam Newton one week, and he looks great. Like he's dialed in. He's locked in, he's making the right reads, he's pulling it down when he needs to, but he's not just constantly trying to make plays with his feet. You see the strength and the physical tools on display, and he's really, really accurate. Last year, Cam Newton completed 68% of his passes. But there were some games last season where it felt like he just kind of disappeared. And, and granted, because of the injury, he only played in 14 games last season. Yeah, and late in that season, he probably shouldn't have been playing, even though they were making a playoff push. He, he didn't really belong on the field, not to any fault of his own. He's a competitor, and he wanted to play, but you could tell something was not right. You know, I, I can do without some of the weirdness, but whatever. I mean, hey, dress however you want to dress, deal with the media however you want to deal with the media. I, I don't really get wrapped up in that when you're looking at value to a team, I just want to know if you can play. And at times, Cam Newton is great. Great. And then at times, it's like, meh, it's just very average. Kelso and Ocean Springs, I'm not sure luck belongs in Tier 1. Ooh, that's a hot take. It's a little little bit of a take there. I mean, last year he was especially good. Still doesn't have very wep- very let me let me retry that. Still doesn't have a strong arsenal of weapons from top to bottom in Indianapolis either. They're better up front and that's really? why he was able to have a good season, but it's not like they have elite company all over the field for him either. I mean, number 1 target CY Hilton. I guess. He's not a top five guy in the league. Good player, though. Really good player. Um, Borky Rosen has to be ranked according to what he has done, not his potential. Uh, true. I just... I. When I watched him, and then when you consider the factors of playing behind the worst offensive line in football and having a coaching Mm -hmm. change and a coordinator change, that was not the worst quarterback in football last year at all, even with all those circumstances against him and the team being really bad. There was worse that started in the league than him last year. I would say he showed more than Lamar Jackson did last year. 
And Lamar Jackson went to the playoffs, yeah. and it didn't. It, it was ugly, but sure, he still went to the playoffs. I mean, they are changing, and I'm fascinated to see how it works out in Baltimore. You want to talk about storylines in the NFL? We'll see if this works. I mean, they brought in the former Georgia Tech coach, you know, the guy that ran the triple option and did so pretty well, in to do some consulting. And they're not going to switch to the triple option or anything, but they're adding those kind of looks to their offense in the NFL because they have a quarterback that's not beating anybody with his arm, but he's an elite athlete. So they're not going triple option, but they're going to do a lot more run-focused and quarterback design run-focused and you have so many people that tell you that will not work in the NFL, but they're going to try it. And that's fascinating to me. Um, also on the ceasefire text line, Dak will be an improved passer this year. Okay. Strider in Indianola says, Dak is a leader and loved by fans and teammates. Scam Newton is a Richard. Well played. Well, in fairness, the people the over there love Cam Newton as well. Uh, he's he's just a little out there. No, I don't think he's a little out there. I think <laughs> he's really out there. I think, yeah, he's he's kind of cuckoo for cocoa puffs, less so than Jameis Winston. <sighs> Question: Borky, can the Cowboys run the option with Dak and? Zeke Elliott? Oh, I thought that was a statement saying that they do. I'm sure they could, but oh. um, Prescott is an actual capable passer. I mean, he's not elite by any stretch of the imagination throwing the football, but he actually can do it. Uh, the Ravens have to do this basically out of necessity. I don't know if you watched uh, Baltimore under Lamar Jackson, but it's just not there. And maybe he'll improve and the game will slow down for him and stuff like that, but it's just not there. They aren't running like the occasional, you know, speed option and let your mobile quarterback get out in space and then pitch it long before he gets hit kind of thing. That will be the majority of their offense. Unless he dramatically improved this offseason, which we'll see. NFL MVP odds came out today, uh, or at least from somewhere they did. Maybe they're updated odds. Mahomes, the odds on favorite at four to one to win MVP again this year. Tier one quarterbacks in this list from the Athletic: fifty-five NFL coaches and executives. Rodgers one, Brady two, Breeze three, Mahomes four. Do you have a problem with that order with those four? And that was the MVP listing with Patrick Mahomes at four. No, 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 no. I just, I just, as an aside, I told you that. Patrick Mahomes is the odds-on favorite to repeat as the MVP at four to one, but then I was kind of comparing that to this list oh, where okay. he is listed okay. as the fourth best quarterback. Yeah, see, it's a one-off, as everybody knows. But if you had to take one quarterback right now to start your season today, and then this have year only one year only, who would you have? right now to start your season. You'd still go Tom? Because he doesn't... They didn't rely on him. Hold on a second, though. Yeah, Hold on a second. Do I get Tom Brady with Belichick? It's a good question. Because that changes the question. How about you're the coach? It's your system. (laughs) If you had to pick a quarterback... Give me Mahomes. (laughs) Give me Mahomes. Exactly. And Tom hasn't showed much age. They didn't rely on him a whole lot last year, but 
Breeze kind of showed it. Uh, Brady hasn't showed it yet. I don't think Aaron Rodgers can stay healthy. And he's got there's an attitude a, question there as well. Yeah, I mean the, the the health is not a knock on him. It's just a reality. He seems to get hurt. Now he's tough as nails and plays through a ton of it. But I just feel like he gets banged up a lot. I will tell you this. Yeah. Okay. Your question was, what quarterback would I pick for one year, one year only this coming season? Probably Mahomes. But if you said Richard, you get to pick one quarterback down six, a minute thirty-five to play from your own twenty. I don't care if he's healthy or not. I want Aaron Rodgers. Love that guy in a two-minute drill. So calm, so in control. The ability to make big plays, a grittiness and toughness. He's not a big runner, but when he sees in the gap of the defense in that time and he knows clock management-wise where he is, the scramble will get you 13. Might get out of bounds, might have to burn the timeout, but it's because he knows what is there. 100% that's who I'd go for for a two-minute warning quarterback. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. Covering your favorite teams like no one else. On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. with you on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, cruising toward the weekend. Tomorrow, the Super Talk Mississippi Palmer Home for Children Radiothon, 7th annual. Looking forward to it. We've been telling you about it for, oh, a little over a month now as we count down to the Palmer Home Radiothon. You have been unbelievably generous in the past, and we hope you will uh, find it in uh, in your heart and in your wallet to uh, do so again tomorrow as we uh, continue to work to raise money for the great work that's happening at Palmer Home at the 7th Annual Palmer Home for Children Super Talk Mississippi Radiothon. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi, you know you've got financing needs. That's just kind of the way that that business works for the overwhelming majority of people that are, are in it. You've got financing related to equipment, financing related to buying seed and getting your production loans, uh, buying property, refinancing existing loans. Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of those things. They've been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years. Not a farmer, but uh, you're looking for a piece of recreational property, ready to pull the trigger on that. Or uh, maybe you're just going to build a house, a, uh, a dream house for you, for your family that is in the country. Mississippi Land Bank can handle the financing. Again, their website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. All right, I'm looking forward to this. Michael Borky says he was sitting at home last night, and he decided to make some bold predictions for the 2019 college football season. That 
will serve as today's college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Right now, it's the Hurry Up and Save sales event. It's happening at your local Ford dealer, and it includes pretty much whatever it is that you want to buy. Maybe it's the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 42 consecutive years. Maybe it's the Explorer, the Expedition, or the Fusion or the Edge, whatever it is that you want, great savings. Hurry up and save with your local Mississippi Ford dealers. All right, Borky, I'm going to read your predictions one at a time, and I would like for you to justify them. Okay. Prediction number one, bold prediction number one for Michael Borky, Mississippi State will have a top 25 defense despite Losing three players to the NFL from last year's number one scoring defense. A couple of reasons for that. One, I think the schedule sets up pretty well. Their big non-conference game with Kansas State's a team that, at least in year one, you don't expect to be able to put up a whole lot of points and you get them at home. So slight beneficiaries of the schedule, but also I think there's still some dudes left behind. Errol Thompson's a beast in the middle of that defense. Cam Dantzler's the best defensive back that you've never heard of, or at least in SEC land that you've never heard of before. And they've, despite the losses, still have a bunch of veterans up front on the defensive line. Depth may be an issue, but the starting 11 with a couple of backups mixed in, still a really good, capable, talented, and surprisingly veteran defense that I think can still be a top 25 total defense in college football. Okay. That's number one. Bold prediction number two from Michael Borky. Ole Miss will win seven games. Yeah, and that also, I gave myself a cop-out. I think that uh, I can include with a bowl win in that. I think they're going to win six or seven games in the regular season because even though people will tell you that Jimmy's and Joe's mean more than X's and O's, it also helps when you replace maybe the worst tandem of coordinators in the SEC last year with probably on paper – We'll see how the dynamic works out with the big personalities and stuff like that. But on paper, is there a better tandem of coordinators in the SEC? I don't think so. Do you? Ooh, that is a reasonable question. I'll have to think on that. It either At least it's a, it's a conversation, if nothing else, and they... Similar to Mississippi State, it's not like they're replacing the guys they lost with, like I said yesterday, I forget exactly what I called it, but like Johnny Nobody from Nowheresville. Uh, there's, they're, four, they're two deep. That wide receiver is all four stars. They have a blue-chip quarterback, albeit a young one. He's still a blue-chip quarterback. A 1,000-yard rusher and his backup is a former five-star. Depth on the offensive line is a concern, but if they stay healthy offensively, they still should be very good under Rich Rodriguez. And on the other side of the ball... Even though it wasn't a good defense last year, basically everybody comes back and it will be much better coached. With the schedule, the way it sets up, and all of those things being said, that's a team that can go to a bowl game and win a bowl game. Uh, Let me tag on to that. Ole Miss will begin and end its season in Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium. Like that. Um, and we'll have more fans 
in Lib- <laughs> at the Liberty Bowl when they end the season than in the uh, season opening. Yeah, probably so. Uh, but I like that. That's kind of along the lines that I'm thinking there. Is it, they, they can get to six. I mean, they, they have Vanderbilt and Missouri from the east, and even though Missouri has Kelly Bryant, it's still a team, talent-wise, that you think you're capable of beating. There's a path to six or seven wins for Ole Miss, without a doubt. All right, bold prediction number three from Michael Borky. Oregon will make the college football playoff. Yeah. You've just recently talked yourself into this. I talked myself into that because of experience. So it's an Oregon team that, as I said yesterday, if you were listening, um, returned the most starts on the offensive line than anybody else in college football. More starts returning for Oregon's offensive line than anybody else in college football. And across the board, the most experienced team in college football returning this year with an NFL quarterback. The schedule, though, is kind of funky. They have to go to Stanford. They have to go to Washington. They have to go to Southern Cal and Arizona State. And they were 1-4 and four on the road last year. But because of the experience... I'm going with nope on this one. But because of the experience and the elite quarterback play, they'll be able to navigate that better than they would have maybe a year ago. They'll finish 11-1, and one, win the Pac-12 and go to the college football playoff. I'll tell you why I'm going nope. I I hear where you're coming from, and I kind of think that they beat Auburn in week one, and they're going to get a lot of mileage out of that win. They're going to lose in the Pac-12 championship game to Utah. By the way, Utah was picked by 35 Pac-12 media members today to win the conference outright. Bold prediction number four... You may have to take your, uh, check your temperature on this one. Somebody other than Clemson or Alabama will win the national championship. Think about the world that we live in now where that's considered bold, and that is, because all anybody's talking about is Alabama and Clemson and everybody else is playing for a second. But uh, maybe it's wishful thinking, but also it, the pattern's got to break eventually. The last four national champions have been either Alabama or Clemson, and yet I still see a team like Georgia that is capable of doing it, and they'll have their shot to do so. I think even though they have a rookie head coach, Ohio State has the horses to be able to do so. Even though one of my bold predictions says that this isn't going to happen, if Jalen Hurts acclimates at Oklahoma, you can't tell me that a Jalen Hurts-led Oklahoma team isn't talented enough and capable of going and winning the national championship. Generally speaking, if it's two or the field, you got to take the field. So I just like my odds, even though the last four years have told you otherwise, at the trend changing this year with Georgia being the most likely candidate to make that happen. Bold prediction number five from Michael Borky. Tennessee will upset Georgia, Florida, or Alabama. One of those three. They play at Florida on September 21st. They host Georgia on October 5th with an open date between those two games. And they play at Alabama on October 19th. Yeah, the week I, after they host Mississippi State. And, and I picked those three because those are the three favorites in the SEC. If you look at the East, it's either Georgia or Florida that's getting all the love. And in the West, it's really only Alabama with a little LSU sprinkled in. But Tennessee does not have LSU on the schedule. I like where Florida fits uh, because Tennessee has Chattanooga at home that weekend and Florida has to go to Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee and Georgia both have bye weeks going into that game. But that's at home. Alabama being the least likely of the three. But Tennessee returns most all of their production on offense. Garantano, I think, will take a step forward. They have a really good running back that you've never heard of in Ty Chandler. 
a deep receiver core that all comes back and a secondary that is really experienced, and they all come back. At some point, the Vols are going to be back, and I think it'll either be Florida, Georgia, or Longshot at Alabama. But they'll win one of those three. Best shots on the road against Florida. Definitely, after basically a free bye week the week before. They'll be 3-0 and going into Gainesville, and there will be a lot of hype surrounding that football game. To your point, Ty Chandler, 630 yards on the ground a year ago. The top 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 receivers are back this year. Ten starters back on the offensive side of the ball for Jeremy Prumitz Falls. We'll look at Borky's other two bold predictions when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday. For the college football fix, we were going through Borky's seven bold predictions for the college football season. So far, he has given you Mississippi State will have a top 25 defense. Ole Miss will win seven games. Oregon will make the college football playoff. Somebody other than Clemson or Alabama will win the national championship. Tennessee will upset either. Georgia, Florida, or Alabama. His final two. Ohio State will go 12-0, and win the Big Ten, and make the playoff. Yeah, part of that's because of their schedule. They have a sneaky tough road game at Nebraska, which I think will be uh, overlooked by most. But as you mentioned, you think Nebraska is going to be much better. I do, too. Their most difficult games, with the exception of going to Michigan, who they've owned as of late, are all at home. Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State all come to Columbus before they go to Michigan at the end of the year. And Ohio State's built just like Alabama and Clemson are. They've got horses everywhere. You may not know their names. You may not know who J.K. Dobbins is, for example. But it's a football factory just like Alabama and Clemson are. They are the most talented team on their schedule. They will have more talent than every single one of their opponents, including Michigan. So if Justin Fields just plays to his capability and Ryan Day is as good as everybody says he is, then they will run right through the Big Ten with that easy home schedule, dominate Michigan at the end of the year like they've done for the last decade, and go straight to the playoff with relative ease. With the style in which he plays, what recent Ohio State quarterback is Justin Fields going to look most like. Ooh. So you're gonna look like JT Barrett, Braxton Miller, uh Terrell Pryor. You would think Braxton Miller, right? Because Braxton Miller was a better passer of the football than JT Barrett. And Terrell Pryor was a completely different body type. He was built like Cam Newton. JT Barrett, the all-time leading passer at Ohio State, but he had four years to do it. Threw for 9,434 yards. Um, Justin Fields played in 12 games last year at Georgia, completed 69% on 39 attempts. Former Kentucky quarterback as a transfer, Gunnar Hoke, 
is the uh, the backup quarterback at Ohio State. You're right about J.K. Dobbins. 1,053 yards and 10 touchdowns a year ago. And that was splitting carries as well. He's a junior now. Yeah, Mike Weber had uh, 954 yard uh, yards rushing as well. Had 172 carries. Dobbins still had 230 carries on the year, so he was, what, an 18-carry-a-game guy? Yeah, they ran the football a good bit last year. I can't beat you up on this one. You know, I just, you're right about it being an incredibly talented roster, but where's their Purdue game on the schedule this year? Yeah, good point. 13 and 1 last year with a loss to Purdue. They lost by 29 points, 49 to 20. 12 and 2 two years ago. They lost 55 24 to Iowa. You know where their Purdue game is, Richard? It's Nebraska. On the road. That's their Purdue game. November 28th at Nebraska. The buildup for that game is going to be September 28th. September 28th, excuse me. Because Nebraska's not losing build before that, for that game, game either. Yeah. It'll be off the charts. They had a three-point loss to Penn State in 2016 and then lost in the uh, playoff. 2015, they had a three-point loss to Michigan State. 2014, they lost to Virginia Tech in the second game of the year. Lost it by two touchdowns. Ended up winning the title with a third-string quarterback that year, too. Some guy named Ezekiel Elliott was the running back. You may have heard of him. Yeah, yeah, true story about that 2014 team. All right, final big, bold prediction from Borky. The Big 12 will be left entirely out of the college football playoff. Yeah, and I don't know how much I love this one, but I think Texas is going to lose Week 2 to LSU and then will get beat by Oklahoma, maybe TCU, somewhere along the way. They have to go to TCU I think Texas will have two losses, so they're out. And Oklahoma, they have a, a kind of a weird road game at UCLA. Iowa State's a really experienced team. They still have to go to Oklahoma State and Bedlam. They, they still have TCU, who I think is going to be better on the schedule. I think a one-loss Big 12 champion gets left behind if, let's say, Alabama and Georgia, both undefeated, meet in the SEC championship. The loser of that game would take precedent over the Big 12 champion with the same record. I think Ohio State's going to make it with relative ease. You've got Clemson there as well. And then my other bold prediction, Oregon, or somebody from the Pac-12 running through. There's a bunch of different teams that a one-loss Pac-12 champion could easily be left out of the college football playoff. And even if Oklahoma goes, let's say, 11-1, and I think they're going to get left out because of it. All right. Dan in Charleston said, bold prediction, Southern Miss beats Mississippi State 24-17. Uh, Tim, I like you, Michael, but we've heard this before about Tennessee. doesn't help about the starters. They don't have the defense to stop Bama or Georgia. Hope they can beat Florida, but I doubt it. I was on the business end of a weed eater earlier this early this morning, Borky. And was listening to the guys, um, Jocks Roundtable guys. I was listening on my phone. And Jim Dunaway, he's kind of making a prediction. 
He's got Miami beating Florida in week zero. Hmm. There are some people that, and I don't exactly disagree with them, that think that Florida can, I mean, win the East and, and like, be an 11-win team, you know, compete, really actually compete for the SEC and, like, outside shot at a playoff berth. I'm not sure that I see that. Miami in the opener, UT Martin, road trip at Kentucky, Tennessee at home, Towson at home, Auburn at home, at LSU, at South Carolina, Georgia in Jacksonville, at Missouri, and Florida State. I mean, that that's could not be a, a schedule that leads. That's not a schedule that leads you to eleven wins. That could be a three or four loss team, maybe. It was a it was a mini Especially miracle if they were to drop it ago. to Miami early. Oh, ten and three. I mean, that was a small miracle. I mean, winning that Mississippi State game just in isolation, that shouldn't have happened. To me, the one that jumps out that looks like big-time danger zone for Florida, November 16th at Missouri. It might be snowing in Columbia, Missouri on November 16th. Uh, Missouri beat Florida 38-17 last year in the Swamp. Two years ago in Columbia. Now that's a Florida team that went 4-7. and seven. Missouri beat them 45-16. So two dominating performances. And they've got to go to Columbia. I think Missouri's going to be pretty good. And... And you want to talk about a schedule that's favorable. We talked about this before with Missouri. little tricky in having to open at Wyoming. So you're going to play game one at altitude. Then West Virginia at home. But, I mean, it's an altogether different West Virginia team. Holgerson's out. New quarterback. Had some guys transfer out. Southeast Missouri in week three. That Missouri-South Carolina game, I think, could be big, big, big in week four. They've got Troy after an open date. Ole Miss for homecoming on October 12th. Go to Vanderbilt, go to Kentucky, then another open date before they go to Georgia. And then host Florida, host Tennessee, and host Arkansas. Am I crazy to think Missouri's going 10-2? and two? Would you be surprised Nine and three that a, at the worst? Yeah. I mean, would that surprise you that a kid that took a team to the college football playoff takes Missouri to 10 wins? No, not at all. Steven, wait. Week zero, Mullen versus Manny Diaz. Uh, that's right, Steven. True story. August 24th. Dan Mullen and Florida against first-year head coach Manny Diaz and the U. I don't know what your plans are that day, but I know what my plans are that Saturday night, and that is to prop my feet up and watch that one unfold. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.